Section twenty nine. Book two. Chapter twenty one of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Libera. Translated by Robert Southey. Book two. Chapter twenty one. How Amadis took leave of King Lisuarte, and with him ten knights, his friends and kinsmen, who were the best and bravest of the court, and went their way to the firm island, where Briolania proved the adventures of the Arch of True Lovers and of the Forbidden Chamber, and how they determined to deliver Madasima and her damsels from the king's power. Then Amadis, taking with him all those knights, went to take leave of the king. They were in the palace, when they saw with how altered a countenance he entered, and at that hour, when the tables were placed, all drew nigh to hear what he would say. He being before the king spake thus, Sir, whether or not you have dealt ill with me, God and yourself can witness. Of this I say no more, for though my services may have been great, much greater, was the will I had to requite those honours which I from you received. Yesterday you told me that I might go about the world and seek for one who would know me better, giving me to understand that what you wished was my departure from your court. Since this would please you, it becomes me so to do. I do not come to discharge myself of vassalage, for I never was subject to you, nor to any but God alone, but I take leave of that good will which you once manifested to honour and favour me, and of that great love wherewith I ever strove to requite and serve you. Then Don Galvanese also took leave, and Agrias and Florestan, and Dragones and Palomir, who were cousins to Amadis, and Don Bruneo of Bonamar, and his brother Branfil, and Agriote, and Estravas, and Grinadin, his brother, and Pinoris, his nephew. Don Quadragante then came before the king and said, Sir, I abode with you only at the request of Amadis, and because I have been yours for his sake for the same reason, I will continue so no longer. Small hope of recompense can there be for my poor services, when he is so rewarded. For ill have you remembered how he saved you from the hands of maddened Fable, from whence none other could have saved you, and how he won for you that battle against King Sildadan, and how his brethren and kinsmen there shed their blood for you, how he delivered you from my enmity, and from Famangomadan, and his son Bazagante, who were the strongest giants in the world, and from Linderac, who was so mighty a knight, and from Archelaus the enchanter, all this you have forgotten, but I tell you, that had all we been in the field and Amadis away, how think you would it then have fallen out? The king answered, Don Quadragante, I well perceive by your words that you have no love towards me, neither are you so beholden to Amadis that you should desire his welfare. Perchance what you say of that is not so true as it sounds. Quadragante replied, you are of that same rank that you may say what pleases you, but sure am I that you will not move Amadis with mischief-making words as others have been moved, who will discover their error when too late. Then Landon came up and said, Sir, of all your household I could find no help or healing for my wounds, save only from Amadis, therefore shall I go with him and with my uncle Don Quadragante. Certes, quoth Lisuarte, if you stayed I should not have a friend the more. Landon replied, Such as they are towards you will I be. At this time were assembled together in another part of the palace Don Brian of Monhaste, 
a right good knight who was son of King Lazadan of Spain, and of a sister of King Perion, and Gandal and Ordeline, son to the Count of Orlanda, and Grandores, and Mandesil, he of the Silver Bridge, and Lizorton of the White Tower, and Ladadin of Farac, and Branfils the Haughty, and Don Garavante of the Perilous Vale. And when they saw how all those other knights were about to depart for the love of Amadis, they also went before the king and said, Sir, we came to your court to see Amadis and his brethren, and to obtain his friendship, and as he was the cause of our coming, so will he be that of our departure. These knights having departed, and there remaining no other, Amadis would have taken leave of the queen, but Lisuarte would not permit him, because she had always opposed this quarrel, so he sent his excuses by Don Grumadan. Then went he to his lodging, and after they had made their meal they all mounted, being fully armed. Five hundred knights were they in all, who followed Amadis, among whom were the sons of kings and of counts, and others who for their prowess as well as birth were renowned throughout all the world. Mabilia beheld them from a window of the queen's palace, in what order they went, their arms how rich they were, and how glittering in the sun, so that none who saw them depart but marvelled and thought the king unhappy that he would so lose such a knight and such a goodly company. Then Mobilia went to Oriana and said, Cease thy sorrow, and come look at your vassals, and let your heart rejoice that you have such a lover. For if till now he has led the life of an errant knight serving your father, now that he has left his service he appears like a powerful prince, and that lady will redound to your honour. Oriana, being comforted by her words, looked at the company, subduing by her fortitude that grief and passion which tormented her heart. There went out with Amadis to honour him, King Arban of North Wales, and Grumadin the queen's fosterer, and Brandoyuas, and Quinorante, and Giantes, the king's nephew, and Listeran the good jouster. All these rode with him apart from his company, and very sorrowful for his departure, and Amadis besought them, that they would still be his friends, so far as they could, without breach of honour for he should still esteem and love them, as he had done, nor though the king had ceased to love him, having no cause for this change, should they do so likewise, nor for that ceased to serve the king and honour him, as for his worth he deserved. They answered that they should never cease to love him, however they were bound by loyalty to serve the king. Then said Amadis, I beseech you, tell the king, that what Udaganda said before me is now made manifest, how I should gain for another, and my guerdon shall be wrath, and the long delay of my will. So has it come to pass. But the just judge of all will allot to every one his right. Don Grumadan cursed Udiganda, for prophesying so truly, and then they returned to the town. Presently Don Guilan came up, and he was in tears, and said, Sir, you know how it is with us, that I have neither will nor heart of my own, but must obey her, for whom I suffer so much, and she has forbidden me to follow you, and thus am I put to great shame. Now would I repay those honours, which I have ever received from you and your brethren, but I may not. But Amadis, who knew the great and excessive love of this knight, and remembered how he had himself loved and obeyed Odiana, embraced him and said, Don Gulin, my friend, God forbid, that a knight like you should disobey your lady. Not so would I advise you, nor so advising should I be your friend. Obey her, and serve the king, and sure am I that you will keep your loyalty, and yet that I shall have in you the same friend. So Gulin answered, he trusted in God to serve him yet, and he took his leave. 
They rode on about three leagues to the shore where Amadis had ordered tents to be pitched. There they regaled that night, congratulating each other that they had not remained longer in the service of one so thankless. But Amadis felt his heart fail him, for he knew not when he should again see Oriana. In the morning they set forth again and took the straight road to the firm island. On the day after Amadis had departed, the king, when mass was over, sate in his palace according to custom, and looked on one side and on the other, and beholding how desolate the place appeared, without those knights who were gone, he began to muse upon his own conduct, and was lost in thought. Gandendel and Brokadan, who knew what Angriote had said of them, when they saw him thus, thoughtful began to fear that he was ill-satisfied with what had been done. Howbeit as they could not now retreat, they resolved to push farther on, for this is the ill fate of all great errors. So Gandadel went up to Lisuare and said to him, Henceforth, sir, you may rest secure, since those who could have injured you are dismissed from your service. The trouble of your state and household you may lay on us, and we will attend to it more carefully than to our own concerns. And when you think of the treasures which you must have bestowed upon those knights, but which are now your own, you should greatly rejoice. Lisuare looked sternly at them and answered, I marvel much at what you say, that I should commit the management of my state and household to you, that I and those about me are not equal to the task, but you in whom I did not perceive such great ability are capable thereof. Even if you were, my vassals and household would be ill-contented with the authority of such as you. You tell me, too, that I shall save the wealth which would else have been bestowed among those knights. I would know how it could be better employed than to my own honour and service, my honour was defended by it, my dominion increased, and so it at last returned to me again, for the wealth that it bestowed where it ought lies in a good treasury whence it can never be lost. No more of this, I shall not take your counsel. He then arose and called his huntsmen and went forth to the field, leaving them in amazement and great dismay. At this season arrived a damsel from Queen Briellana, with tidings of Oriana, whereat all greatly rejoiced, for that queen was much beloved by all. "'Lady,' quoth she, "'I come from Briellana to tell you the wonders of the firm island, that you may know all, for I was witness.' "'God grant long life to her,' said Oriana, "'and good fortune to you for the trouble which you have taken.' So all drew round to hear her. Then said the damsel, "'When Briellana and her company had arrived at the firm island, she was asked if she would attempt the forbidden chamber, or the arch of true lovers.' But she answered, that she would leave those two prophets till the last. Then they led us to a fair dwelling about a league from the castle, which, because of its goodly situation, was one of the chief habitations of Apollodon. And when it was dinner-time, they led us to a great hall. At the one end thereof was a deep cave, so dark and fearful, that none durst go nigh to it. And at the other end of the palace was a fair tower, where they led us. And we found the tables and benches placed by the windows, and from thence we could see all that passed below in the large hall. So there were we, well served by dames and damsels, and knights, and our people feasted below in the hall. But when the second service was brought in, loud hissings were heard from the cave, and a hot wind came forth therefrom, and there issued out a great serpent into the middle of the hall, so fierce and terrible that none dared look on him, and he breathed smoke from his mouth and nostrils, and lashed the ground with his tail, so that the whole palace shook. Presently two lions came out of the cave and attacked him, and began such a battle that there is not heart of man which would not have felt fear at beholding it. 
the knights and people fled with all speed from the table and though the windows whereat we were were very high yet were we greatly terrified half an hour that battle lasted till the lions were so wearied that they lay as though they were dead and the serpent so exhausted that he could scarce draw breath but after he had rested a little he took one lion in his mouth and carried him into the cave then returned for the other and they were seen no more that day the men of the island laughed at our fear and assured us that they would appear no more that day so we then seated to the tables and finished our meal the next day they led us to a place still fairer where we well feasted and at night they showed us a rich chamber marvellously fair where there was a rich and costly bed for briolana and other good ones for us but about midnight the doors flew open with so great noise that we all awoke in terror and a hart came in having lighted candles upon his horns so that the whole chamber was as light as day one side of that hart was white as snow and the neck and the head were black as pitch and the one horn seemed gilt and the other was red four dogs pursued him in full cry and behind them an ivory horn moved and sounded in the air as if a man were sounding it and gave the proper sound of the chase and cheered the dogs so that they pursued the hart and allowed him no respite and drove him from one part of the chamber to another and sometimes they leaped over our beds and sometimes they fell on them so that we rose in our shifts and our hair hanging about and fled from them and some hid themselves under the beds till the hart finding no safety there leaped through a window and the dogs after him then were we right glad and taking up the clothes which were thrown about covered ourselves and gave a robe to briolana wherein she dressed herself and then as the fear was past we laughed at the confusion into which we had been thrown while we were making our beds again a dame and two damsels entered and a little girl with candles and she spake to briolana and said how is it lady that you have risen at such an hour but when she heard they laughed and answered now then ladies go to sleep again for you have nothing more to apprehend to-night early in the morning we went to a wood where there were fine groves and fair gardens and there we had tents pitched by a brookside we found there a round building with twelve marble pillars the walls were of crystal so curiously made that they who might be within could see all without the doors were made of plate of gold and of silver and by every pillar was placed the image of a giant made in copper and these images had bows in their hands and the arrowheads were of fire we were told that nothing could enter that chamber but would be presently reduced to ashes by those arrows which never failed of their mark and they put in two fallow deer and a stag immediately the images shot at them and they were reduced to ashes and the arrows returned to the bows from whence they fled on the doors of the chamber there were letters written which said let no man or woman dare enter here except they twain who love each other truly as truly as did grimanesa and apollodon and they must enter here together else will they die the cruelest death that ever was seen this enchantment will endure till they twain shall have entered the forbidden chamber and then shall all the enchantments of the firm island be done away then briolana called isanso and enil and told them she wished to see nothing more except the arch of the true lovers and the forbidden chamber and she asked yanso the meaning of the lion and the serpent and of the heart and the dogs lady he replied we know nothing more than that they always at that hour appear and the heart and the dogs run from the window into a lake which we believe proceeds from the sea but were you to remain here a whole year you could not half see the wonders that are in this island 
On the morrow we mounted our palfreys and returned to the castle. Without delay, Briolana went to the arch of true lovers and passed through the forbidden perrons, like one who never failed in her love. And the image which the trumpet made so sweet a sound that we were all astonished, and when she entered where the images were of Apollodon and Grimanessa, it ceased with so sweet a finish as was marvellous to hear. There beheld she those images as fair and fresh as life, and being alone with them she thought herself in good company. And while there she saw letters newly written in the jasper, saying, This is the name of Briolana, daughter to King Tagadan of Soberdisa, the third damsel that hath entered here. Then she felt a fear of being alone, and returned. The fifth morning she went to attempt the forbidden chamber. She was in rich attire, and she wore nothing upon her beautiful head except a gold clasp with jewels, and all who saw her said that if she did not enter the chamber there was none in the world who could, and that they should now see the end of all those enchantments. She commended herself to God, and passed through the copper paran, and came up to the marble paran, and read the writing there, and proceeded so far beyond that all surely thought the adventure was achieved. But when she was within three paces from the door, three hands seized her by those beautiful locks, and piteously cast her out of the forbidden ground, as they had done all the others, and she lay in such plight that we could not soon recover her. Till now Oriana's heart had been misgiving her, but now she looked at Mabilia and the damsel of Denmark, and they at her, being all well pleased. The next day pursued the damsel. Briolana departed for her own kingdom. So the damsel then received her bidding from Brisena and Oriana, and the other lady set out on her return to her mistress. Now Amadis and his company arrived at the firm island, where they were joyfully received by all the dwellers therein, who, as they had felt great sorrow for the loss of their new lord, so now had they double pleasure in welcoming him. But when those knights who were with him beheld the castle, how strong it was, and now there was no other entrance to the island large as it was, and that the land was so fertile, and peopled with so many and such inhabitants, they thought it might maintain war against all the world. So they were lodged in the largest town, which stood under the castle. You are to know that this island was nine leagues long and seven wide, all full of villages and rich dwelling-houses of the knights of the land, and in the pleasantest parts thereof Apollodon, had built four palaces for himself, the strangest and most delightful that ever man could behold. One was that of the serpent and the lions, another that of the hart and the dogs. The third was called the whirling palace, for three times in the day and as often in the night it whirled round, so that they who were in it thought it would dash to pieces. And the fourth was that of the bull, because every day a wild bull issued out of the old covered way and ran among the people therein as though he would kill them, and when they fled from him he ran against the iron door of a tower, and burst it open, and went in, and presently he came out again, being quite tame, and ridden by an old ape, so wrinkled that his skin hung all in folds, which ape flogged him into the place from whence he came. Great pleasure had all these knights in beholding these enchantments, and enough pastime had they there, and they were all firm in their love to Amadis, and ready to follow him wherever he would. At this time came Andalod, the hermit of the poor rock, to establish the monastery as had been appointed, and he seeing Amadis gave thanks to God for giving life to so good a man, and looked at him and embraced him, as if he had never seen him before. But Amadis kissed his hands, and with all humility thanked him for his preservation and for his life, which he owed to God and to him. So a monastery was founded at the foot of the rock, where the chapel of the Virgin stood, wherein Amadis 
had prayed in his despair before he departed into the mountain. A good man called Sisian, whom Angelot brought, remained there, and thirty friars with him, and Amadis assigned to them rents enough, and Angelot then returned to the poor rock as before. Then Balaise of Carasante arrived, he whom Amadis had released from the dungeon of Archelaus, who had gone to take leave of King Lisuarte, so soon as he knew that Amadis had left him in discontent. With him also came Olivas, whom Agrias and Don Galvanes had helped in battle against the Duke of Bristol. They asked of Balaise, What news in the court? He answered, Enough to tell. King Lisuarte, sir, has summoned all his people, for Count Latin, and they whom he sent to take possession of the island of Mongaza, have informed him that the old giant had given up to them all the castles which he and his sons had in their keeping. But Gromadazo refused to yield the castles by the boiling lake, which is the strongest place in the island, and also three other castles, for she says she will never yield the place where she was mistress in the life of her husband, for Mongomaden, and Basagante her son. But always annoy Lizuare to the utmost of her power, and for Matasima and the damsels she cares not what may become of them, so she can do any harm to the king. The king therefore was summoned his forces and hath sworn, if Gromadaza does not yield up her castles within a month, that he will behead Matasima and the damsels, and that he will go against the castle of the boiling lake, and not depart from before it, till he shall have won it, and if he can take the old giantess, he will throw her to the lions. At this news they were all greatly troubled, and Galvanes said to them, Sirs, you all know the promise which I have made to Matasima to defend her with reason, or if that failed by force of arms, and for this cause was it that Amadis and all of us forsook Lisuare. Now I beseech you, if he will not hear reason, assist me in arms to fulfil my word. At that uprose Don Florestan, and said, Don Galvanes, there are better advisers here than that, but if reason fail, I will undertake the battle in the name of God. Good friend, replied Galvanes, I thank you with all my heart, but if it must be by battle, I have promised, and I will perform it. Then Don Brian of Manhaste and Quadragante said that the quarrel appertained to all, and all ought to bear a part, for all knights were bound to succour damsels who were oppressed, and as Matasima and her damsels had gone as hostages, in obedience to her mother, they were innocent before God. Sirs, said Amadis, you rejoice me in what you say for whatsoever is undertaken with such concord will have good issue. But I will tell you what seems to me good. These damsels are twelve in number, and therefore ought to be succoured by twelve knights. Sure I am that such as ye will think such danger but pastime. If it please ye, I will name twelve champions, and let the other knights remain here for greater perils if they should befall us. You, Sir Don Galvanes, shall be the first, as it is your quarrel. Inagri as your nephew, and my brother Florestan, and my cousin Palomir and Dragonis, and Don Brian of Mahaste, and Nicaran of the White Tower, and Erladan, and Gavarte of the Perilous Vale, and Ymosel, brother of the Duke of Burgundy, and Mandasil of the Silver Bridge, and Ladanin of Farahak. Let those twelve go. There are among them the sons of kings and dukes and counts, so that their peers will not be found. Hereat were all well pleased, and the knights appointed made ready forthwith and shortly after midnight armed themselves and rode towards Daphilana, the town where Lizuati then was. End of chapter 21